Well, turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 10. We're continuing, of course, our study. We've called it the history of the nation of Israel, but really highlighting the three uh, first, the first three kings, basically, Saul, David, and now Solomon. And, and uh, we've seen those others now. Uh, I've got up there, the Queen of Sheba's coming. So Solomon ruled when Israel was at the height of its power. I mean, it is amazing. The, Solomon is the greatest king. They're the richest nation. He's the wisest person. All of these things. He's famous for not only being the son of David, but for building the temple and all those things. He's known for his wealth, his wise, his wisdom, even his worship. So everything. And so as we get a look this morning, we're going to just highlight really two areas, wealth and wisdom, and then we're going to throw in the, the worship part because that's part of it as well. And we're going to see how all these things fit together. Uh, the queen of Sheba, we'll talk about who she is. She comes to see Solomon because she's got, she, she's heard about him, but she doesn't believe it. She doesn't believe all of it. So she says, y'all are saying this about this man and about this power and about the gold and the riches and the wisdom. I'm going to go see for myself. So she makes a trip to see him, and this is what we'll see. And she says, uh, I, half wasn't even told me. As we, as we look at this passage, just think about some questions like, how should we view our lives, um, all that we have? What should we be known for? And how do we keep from failure. That's just three things just to think about as we go through. There's a lot in the passage. We'll go fairly quickly. There's 29 verses, but as you know, it's a narrative part. We'll go pretty quickly through it. There's a famous saying that says, you know, that everybody in the world, uh, it, you're going to be famous. Everybody will be famous at least for about 15 minutes in their life. I saw a cartoon and the guy said, what if I'm famous and I miss my 15 minutes, you know? And so most people, they want to be famous, famous for something. And let me ask you a question. What, what do you want to be famous for? If, if so, what do you want to be famous for? If your life ended right now, what would you want to be famous for? Or what would you be famous for? And you know, here's the key, and the key is this. It's not fame, but faithfulness. Because the key when you stand before Jesus Christ is not going to be your fame, it's going to be your faithfulness. We want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want. And that's really the key for our lives is faithfulness. This morning, we're going to get a look at Solomon. We're going to see his fame. He's famous for his wisdom. He's famous for his wealth. He's even famous for God. In fact, the Queen of Sheba makes his journey to see Solomon because of his fame. And we'll talk about who is this queen. And as we study this section, we'll see Solomon as the wisest man who ever lived. But let me just say this. Uh, because he's the wisest man that's ever lived does not guarantee that he will do what is right, and we'll see that. Think about fame and what you want. I remember this has been about, oh, I'd say 15 years ago, maybe longer. I talked with a, a college student. He was a senior, and he was about to graduate, and somehow we were talking, and I said, what do you want to do? What do you, what, what, what's your life? He said, oh, I've got a goal. I said, what is your goal? He said, my goal is to be rich. I said, really? He said, yeah, I'm going to be rich. I said, well, if that's your goal, you're going to have a really sad life. Because riches never satisfy. Even if you get rich, you're not going to be satisfied. Because the more you have, the more you want. Uh, the, really what the key of life is relationships. Relationship with God, relationship with family, and relationship with friends. That's really the key. And so as we look at the life of Solomon, he's famous for being rich and for all the different things and stuff like that. And, and uh, he's built the palace. He's, he's had the building programs. He's become more and more wealthy. He's known as a man who worships God. He built that temple, which was so incredible. And so today he has a visitor, the Queen of Sheba. And she is rich in her own right. She's the queen. We'll talk about where Sheba is, what Sheba is. We'll tie all that together. And so she comes. As we look at this passage, we see Solomon's wealth and his wisdom and his worship, but we also see the beginning of the things that led to his failure. See, God's word says, take heed lest you think you stand, you what? 
you fall, and that's the same for every one of us. We could say, be careful, take heed lest you think you stand, that you won't do something or this won't happen to you, and that you fall. And we see Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, uh, he's going to make some mistakes. He's going to choose to do wrong things. And as we said earlier, just because we're wise, wisdom does not always mean we obey. Let me give you the outline for the passage. We're going to see Sheba visit Solomon. That's the first 13 verses. Then quickly, we're going to see Solomon's palace and his riches and and the golden shields and all that. And then finally, the very end. And we're going to see at the very end of the passage, the beginning of the problems. And, And so as we look at this, we are amazed at the wealth of Solomon. We are also amazed at the wisdom of Solomon, but we also may be amazed at the wrong things that he does. And Solomon goes contrary to the word of God. I mean, you think, okay, this is the wisest man who ever lived. God has come to him two different times. The first time he came to Solomon, he said, what do you want, Solomon? Solomon said, well, I I don't know how to lead these people. I need wisdom to lead these people. And God said, I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you riches. I'm going to give you honor. I'm going to give you everything. After Solomon built the temple, God came to him a second time. But this time, God's not asking him what he wants. God says, I'm telling you something. I'm telling you this, Solomon, as the king. If you obey me and the nation obeys me, you get to live in the land. If you disobey me and the nation disobeys me, I will remove you from the land. And we see that ultimately is what happened to the nation of Israel. And so as we look at this, we see that wisdom is no guarantee that we will not sin. Wisdom is no guarantee that we will obey God. You can know wisdom is knowledge, understanding the truths, putting it together, saying this is what's right, this is how we should live, this is what we should do. But that doesn't guarantee, just because you know what's right and you have wisdom, it doesn't guarantee that you will obey. This chapter, we're going to see the beginning of the downfall of Solomon. Now, let me just remind you of this. There have been three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. Saul started so good. He was, a, he was a jealous, selfish man, and he started so good, and he ended so poorly. He actually killed himself. David started good. David messed up in the middle. David ended good. David's called a man after God's own heart because when he messed up, he confessed it, he dealt with it, and he lived for God. Solomon is going to start really, really good, and he's going to end really bad. And so we look at our lives, it's easy. We look out and we say, well, we can start good. That, the question, there are a lot of people who start good. And the real question is, how are you going to end? Are you going to live for the glory of God? Are you going to be like David who sinned and we all sin and we all mess up, but are we going to deal with our sin and confess it and go on and make, you know, live for Jesus Christ? Or are we going to be like Saul and Solomon who started good and ended poorly? And it kind of breaks your heart when you look at this because we saw Saul and we said, Saul hated David, Saul tried to kill David. We didn't. To be honest, we didn't really like Saul that much. But, you know, and and Solomon is so wise and so smart and so brilliant and so everything. And we're going to see that uh, he doesn't do it. It's important that we realize every one of us in this room, we are capable of any sin. Take heed lest we think we stand, we fall. What we're going to see, Shiva's going to visit Solomon. Is it to make a treaty? We don't know. It doesn't say. We know that Solomon has treaties with all kind of people, and so we're going to see what happens. Let's start at chapter 10. First Kings chapter 10, we'll go at verse 1. It says, now when the queen of Sheba 
heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with difficult questions. Now, if we start by the Queen of Sheba, nobody's really sure where Sheba is. Some people think it was Yemen, modern-day Yemen. Some think it was part of South, part of Arabia. Some people think it was even Ethiopia. Some others say it may have been as far as 1,200 miles away. She had heard about this man. And, And notice what it says, and this is powerful. It says, when the Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. And so she has heard about the name of the Lord. Solomon at this time was known not only for his wealth and wisdom, but also for his worship. You remember, he has just built maybe the most important building on the face of the earth, the temple. It is famous. And Solomon built that, and that was for the worship of the God of Solomon. And so people have heard about him, and they've heard about his wealth. They've heard about his wisdom. They've also heard about his worship. And she says she heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. She came to test him with difficult questions. And, and it, so what, what was the purpose of Solomon? What was the purpose of building the temple? What was all this? It was to worship God and to tell people, listen, the goal of the nation of Israel was to proclaim to the world the true God and the one who would send the Messiah and the Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The nation of Israel was set apart. God made them at what the Bible calls a peculiar people. Let me tell you what he means by that. He took them from Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob on down to Moses, and they gave them a law and set them apart as a people group. He said, there are certain clothes you can wear. There are certain foods you can eat. There are certain things you can do. There are certain feast days. There are certain sacrifices. I want you to build this temple. I want you to... He set them apart as a unique people group. And people could see them, and they'd say, those people are different. Yeah, they... And they would say, the Jewish nation of Israel would say, we have the true God, the God of Israel. And so Solomon's goal and the plan of, of the nation of Israel was to point people to the Messiah. Now, as a whole, they didn't do that very well. Well, what about us? What is our goal? What is our plan? We find we have the same plan and goal that we're to point people to Jesus Christ. Jesus is a Savior. He left the glories of heaven, Galatians 4.4, become a human being, to die on the cross, to pay for our sins. He is the Savior of the world, and anyone who will believe in Jesus Christ will have eternal life. Anyone who will trust in Him and Him alone will have eternal life. He is the Savior. It is our responsibility as the church, the body of Christ, which is different than Israel, We have the same privilege. We get to tell people about Jesus Christ. So that's the plan. Now notice, she's come, and the end of verse 1 says, she came to test him with difficult questions. So she wanted to test Solomon with different, difficult questions. And we're not sure. We'll get to it in just a minute of what she's trying to do. But notice, so she came to Jerusalem with a large retinue with camels and spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon... She spoke with him about all that was on her heart. Now, so she's come, and she's rich. She's coming with gold. She's coming with all this stuff. She's coming with spices. She's coming to see Solomon, and she wants to look good. I mean, she's saying, everybody tells me this guy is rich, handsome, smart, wise, worships a true God. He's something. Well, I I can't go looking bad. I got to looking good, so I better take my gold and all my stuff, and I'm coming, and I'm coming to look good. That's what she wants to do. Notice it says, when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. There's two ideas. She's asking these questions, and there's an idea here, two ideas, that she may have asked him questions she knew the answers to, to see if Solomon knew, or she may be asking him questions that she doesn't know, and she wants him, she wants the answer to things that she doesn't know about. 
She doesn't have any idea about all of that. So that's what she's trying to do. So she's coming to see him. So look at verse 3. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from the king, which he did not explain to her. Now here, I love these pictures here. This, this I found this picture. This is supposed to be the Queen of Sheba coming to Solomon, and, and we're going to talk more about his throne. There's his throne, and there's the lines. We'll talk about that later on because it's mentioned in the passage. She's coming. She's coming with all the people. There's another picture. I, I, that, that's good. I, I think the lines there are too small. I think the lines were really, I like this picture a lot better, but I just wanted you to see it. That's supposedly the Queen of Sheba coming to Solomon and asking him the questions and doing all this stuff. And in verse 3, it says, nothing was hidden. From Solomon's wisdom, it says, Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from the king which he did not explain to her. Now, you understand that if you read Ecclesiastes and you read those other books that Solomon wrote that he talks about that he studied everything. He studied plants. He studied animals. He knew how the he knew he could name every plant. He knew about trees, bushes. He knew about all kind of garden things. He knew about animals. He, he studied zoology. He studied botany. He, he did everything. He was brilliant. He knew everything. And God gave him the wisdom. And not only did he study and put these things together, but God gave him wisdom. So when she came and started asking him questions, he would say, oh, okay, let me, here's how this works. Here's how, and she was going, how does he know all of this? This is, this is amazing. And it says, he answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from the king, which he did not explain to her. So everything. And so it's, he was such, not only a learned man, but his wisdom was from God. So look what happened. Verse 4. When the queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of the servants, the attendance of the waiters, their retire, his cupbearers, his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. She was overwhelmed. He was greater and wiser and richer than she even thought. She said, I looked and I saw the house that he built. I saw the, tape, the food on the table. I saw the servants there. I saw his attendants. I saw the cupbearers. I saw the stairway going up to the house of the Lord. She said, I, I've never seen anything like this. This is beyond what I could have imagined. And that's what she says. She, she gives the impression that she came sort of like to prove it and say, oh, I, I bet it's not all that I think it is. And she gets there and she says, it's even better than I could have imagined. Look at verse 6. Then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. Nevertheless, I did not believe the reports until I came and my eyes have seen it. And behold, the half was not told to me. You exceeded in wisdom and prosperity the report that I heard. She said, listen, Ma, I, 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 I didn't believe. So I had to come see you with my own eyes. And behold, half wasn't even told to me. You're, you're twice as good as, I ever, as they ever said. It's just amazing who you are and what you've done. Now, I'm going to stop for just a minute because... If you're Solomon and this rich queen comes and says, you're even better than I've heard. You are amazing. This is beyond comprehension. You might go, yeah, I know, I know. And you got to be real careful. You got to be careful when people start saying, you know, you're something. And they mean it. And they mean it in a good way. And, and the truth is this. I look out of this room. There are a whole bunch of you in this room that are something. 
You're amazing. Some of you can do things. You can play instruments. You can sing. You can work on things. You can study things. You put things together. You know how to deal with people. And, and we could say that you're, you're amazing. But you've got to be careful about one thing. There's a danger of hearing how great you are. And I, I'll be honest with you. I think as we look at this, we're going to see this is part of the problem that's going to lead Solomon astray. Is that everybody's coming to him and saying, the half wasn't even told me. You're, you're, you're even better than I thought you were. And we got to be really careful when people start saying to us, and, and people will, because you, you can do things. And they'll say, wow, how do you do that? You're amazing. And one of the things we have to realize is that all of our gifts, all of our talents, all of our abilities have come to us from God. It is His grace that He allows us to have gifts, talents, and abilities. The gifts, talents, and abilities are not for our glory. It's for His glory. And so all the things that He's gifted you to do and the talents and abilities that you have, it's not for your glory. It's for His glory. And so be real careful when people start saying, you're great, you're good, you're amazing. And it's true, you may be. But just remember to say, it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. We're just his instruments. He, he gives all of us different gifts, talents, and abilities. And let me just tell you, every one of you in this room is special and unique. Nobody's like you. God has gifted you. He's using you. And you are special and unique. But just remember, it's because he gifts you and uses you. That's the key. Look what she goes on to say in verse 8. How blessed are your men. How blessed are your servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom. So you've got to be real careful. Boy, you're so great. I bet everybody around you is really thankful they're around you. And then she says something amazing. Verse 9, Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. He said, blessed be the Lord your God. Listen, I want you to see something. She's actually saying God is to be praised because he puts you on the throne and he loves his people Israel and he puts you on the throne to do righteousness and justice. And I want you to notice something. She uses the personal name of God. L-O-R-D, that's all capitals. And you see in the Bible when it's all capitals, L-O-R-D, it's from Y-H-W-H, the Hebrew word for the personal name of God. She uses the personal name of God and she says, blessed be Yahweh, your God, who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel because God loves Israel. Solomon must have told her that God raised him up and put him on the throne. And gave him wisdom. He may have told her the story how I asked God for wisdom and God gave me wisdom. That's how I've got wisdom. And God said he'd give me riches and he gave me riches. He could have told her, listen, the, everything I have is from God. And let me tell you what every one of us in this room can say. Everything we have comes from who? From God. Everything. It's the grace of God that you're alive. It's the grace of God of the gifts, talents, and abilities that each one of us have. And we ought to be saying, thank you, Lord. Just take my life. Use me for your glory. And notice the end of the verse, it says, he made you the king to do justice and righteousness. That's what Solomon is supposed to do. Justice and righteousness. I want you to remember this. When those in power do what is right, people rejoice. When those in power do wrong, people flee. You look throughout history, even in our nation, when you see good people in laces of leadership and doing what's right, people are joy and happy. When people are in leadership and they do things wrong and they're evil, the people flee, the people hide. Saddam Hussein, I mean, he was ruling, people were hiding. And when they caught him and killed him, people came out of the work work rejoicing. 
We saw a couple of weeks ago when Solomon dedicated the temple and they see his righteousness and how he's living for God and it said all the people went away joyful and happy. It is true. Good leadership, people rejoice. Bad leadership, people hide. And so Solomon, she says, God put you there to rule in justice and righteousness. Wow. What are you going to do with the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the time, the possessions, the intellect, all that God has given to you? What are you going to do with it? You going to use it for his glory? That's what he wants you to do. Well, he then, list what she did. Look what she did. So she gave the king, verse 10, 120 talents of gold and a great amount of spices and precious stones. Never again did such abundance of spices come in as which the queen of Sheba gave to Solomon. She gave all this gold. By the way, it was worth about $27 million worth of gold and the most spices ever given. And he even says, nobody ever gave this many spices (coughs) to Solomon. And so... He goes on to say, you know, the ships of Hiram brought in gold as well, and the king made all these things. Uh, Verses 11 and 12 (coughs) talk about that. Then finally, in verse 13, King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all her desire, which she requested, besides that he gave her according to his royal bounty. Then she turned and went to her own land together with her servants. Solomon gave to her. He gave all she requested. Now listen, (coughs) she requested certain things. But not only that, he gave her what she requested and he gave her according to the royal bounty. He had stuff set aside that when she came, he was going to give her, but she asked for more. And he said, well, you want more? I'll give you more. He gave her everything and she turned and went home. And so what they did, they gave each other gifts. And she saw the glory of the kingdom of Israel under Solomon. And she was thankful to God for what God did. And you can think, boy, Solomon, amazing. And so quickly, the rest of this passage, we're going to see Solomon's wealth, and we're going to highlight all that Solomon has in his wealth. Look at verses 14 and 15. Now, the weight of gold which came into Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold, beside that from the traders and the wares of the merchants and the kings of the Arabs and the governors of the country. They brought in 666 talents of gold. That's $153 million worth of gold. He got every year. And then look what else he did. Verse 16. King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold using 600 shekels of gold on each large shield. He made 300 shields of beaten gold using three minnows of gold gold on each shield. And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. He made these shields, 200 large shields, 300 small shields. Now these aren't shields that soldiers go out to battle in. These are decorative. He made these shields out of gold, 200 big ones, 300 small ones. And he took to to the house of the forest of Lebanon and he put these shields all around. Let me give you an idea. This is, remember this drawing that we talked about? Here's the temple, and this is where they worship. This is the big courtyard. And then, this is Solomon's palace, and this is the house of Pharaoh's daughter. That was his queen. And then this is the house of the forest of Lebanon. This is where they put all the shields. And then, this is called the porch of pillars, which is also called the the judgment house. There are all these pillars in there. This is where Solomon's throne was. This is where he sat on the throne, and he gave out his judgment. So he took all these shields that he made out of gold and put them in that house right there. And they're decorative. They're not for soldiers to fight with because they're made out of gold. And so that's what he did. And then, then there's something else that's amazing. Verse 18. 
Moreover, the king made a great throne out of ivory. Wow. And overlaid it with gold. My gracious, an ivory throne covered over with gold. And there were six steps to the throne and a round top to the throne at its rear. And the arms on each side of the seat and two lines standing beside the arms. Twelve lines were standing there on the six steps on the one side and on the other side, nothing like it was ever made for any kingdom. So you can picture Solomon is sitting on this throne. It's got arms on the throne, and there's a big line here and a big line here, and then as the steps go down, there's lines on each one. And you remember, this is the, the drawing. That, I don't like that drawing. Those look like cats to me, so I don't like it. But here's the one I really like, and there's, the, the, there's all the lines, and you can see him sitting there and the lines beside him. And, and so, I mean, this is magnificent. When you think about it, and the throne is made out of ivory, and then all of these lines and, and all of this stuff, it's just amazing. And then, look at verse 21. All the king's drinking vessels were of gold. All the vessels of the house of the forest, 11 of them were gold. None were silver. It was not even considered valuable in the days of Solomon. Can you imagine? You say, hey, this is silver. They go, ah, we don't care. We, we got gold. Silver's nothing. Silver's nothing. Now, you may start thinking and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, is he supposed to have all this gold? Is he supposed to multiply gold? Well, just keep thinking. Is he supposed to? And, and then it goes on and, and, and it says, uh, for the king, this is verse 22, for the king had ships, uh, had the sea, the ships of Tars, those with Hiram. He and Hiram, the king of Tyre, did that. They went out every three years. The ships of Tars came back bringing gold and silver and ivory and apes and peacocks. And so he brings all this stuff back, and then it says, King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. All the people were seeking the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God put in his heart. And they brought every man articles of silver and gold and garments and weapons and spices and mules. I mean, they're bringing everything. Great, great wealth. That's what they're bringing. Now, so he's getting rich and rich and rich. Now, let me tell you something. Solomon has such great wealth that God told him about but Solomon, in these riches, later wrote something. Here's what he wrote. He who loves money would never be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This, too, is vanity. That's when he wrote Ecclesiastes. He most likely wrote Ecclesiastes when he was an old man, when he had gotten older, and he realized that you can have all the gold in the world and it doesn't satisfy. You can have all the silver in the world and it doesn't satisfy. And by the way, all of us in this room... You know, you can say, you know, if I just got the new iPhone, that I'd be okay. And then you get the new iPhone, and you say, I got the best camera. And they say, no, no, no. They came out with another one. It's got a better camera. And you go, what? I, well, I want that one. Well, I, if I could just get this new car. But then you get this new car, but then another new car comes out. And then you say, well, if I just had that shirt. Well, if I just had that book. If I could just go do that. If I could just get this new house, I would just be satisfied. And the truth is, none of it satisfies because when you got something you want more, it never satisfied. And so if you're living your life thinking, if I could just get one more thing, it'll always be one more thing. And Solomon found that out. Because when he wrote later, he who loves money, you'll never be satisfied with money because you're never going to have enough. You're going to always want just a little bit more. And if you love abundance, guess what? It, it, you will never be satisfied because you want more and more and more and more. Riches and money cannot satisfy. Just ask Solomon. And so Solomon became richer than all the kings and everybody was doing this and they brought all the gold and all the thing and now we're going to find the problem. Watch what it goes on to say. 
Now Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen, 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen. Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 through 17 said, When kings sit on the throne, they are not to multiply the following things, horses, wives, and gold. You know why? Because if you have horses, you're trusting your army instead of God. If you have wives, you're trusting your alliances instead of God. If you got gold, you're trusting your money instead of God. So he says, don't trust those things. Don't multiply those things. What has Solomon done? He's multiplied gold. He's multiplied horses. And when we get to chapter 11, you go see what else he multiplies and see it's women. So it goes on down in verse 26. There's, there's the chariots. What, is, what do you accumulate? Horses, chariots, armies. Look what he's done. Everything, cedar, horses. Uh, the the, the uh, chapter ends by chariots were imported and how much he paid for the chariots. Well, we've seen that he's got gold. He's got horses. What's the third thing? Wives. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. Now Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, the Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonians, Hittite women. Then look at verse 3. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines as a slave wife, and his wives turned his heart away. That's the beginning. What did God say? Don't multiply horses, don't multiply gold, don't multiply wives. He multiplied horses, he multiplied gold, and he multiplied wives, and it said his wives turned his heart away. And chapter 11, it's going to take us two weeks to go through chapter 11. You're going to see in chapter 11, it's sad. If you want to go ahead and read it, read the chapter before next week, you're going to see that Solomon's wives and their false worship turns his heart away from God. And he trusts the horses, and he trusts the gold, and he trusts his alliances. So let me finish real quickly. I'll just, let, let's realize everything we have comes from God. Don't get caught up. Believe in your own press. Listen, remember, everything you can do, and all of you are special and unique, and you can do anything. Just remember, it's from God. He's the one that's gifted you and given you the talents and abilities. Don't get caught up and believe in your press. Prof. Hendricks at Dallas Seminary said, praise is like perfume. It smells good, but don't swallow it. And it's true. Praise will do it to you. When, when somebody says, man, that was great, you say, grace of God, it's the grace of God. Don't get caught up in materialism. It never satisfies. Things do not satisfy. It's not riches, but relationship, your relationship with God, your relationship with your family, and your relationship with your friends. That's the key in life. It's relationships, not money or riches. Let's be known as those who worship God. Let's be famous for our faith in our faithfulness, not famous for something else, famous that we, we are men and women of faith and we're faithful to serve God. I can't get this to change. Oh, there it is. Let's live by the word of God. Let's obey the Bible. Philippians 4, 9 says, whatever you've been taught, do it, live it out. Do it, be obedient, live according to scripture. Let's say in a sad way, Solomon didn't live it out. He knew it, he was wise, he wrote some of it. And yet... He disobeyed it. He disobeyed Deuteronomy, and it ended up turning him away from God. Let's be men and women who, who worship God, live for him, knowing that we're in a fallen world, that, that uh, pay heed lest we think we stand, we fall. Let's live for the glory of God.